Welcome to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast, a podcast all about leadership, change, and personal growth. The goal? To help you lead like never before in your church or in your business. And now, your host, Carrie Newhoff. Well, hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 261 of the podcast. My name is Carrie Newhoff, and I hope our time together today helps you lead like never before. Happy spring, you guys. I don't know what you're doing right now. I know by the time you listen to this, I think I'm going to be at about 500 kilometers on my bike so far this year, but half of that outside. I didn't do very well in the winter, but I'll tell you now that spring's here. It's amazing. So to all of you cyclists, that's great. And you're like, kilometers? Yeah, I'm Canadian. How many miles is that? I love this joke. It's like, ah, 1,500 miles? No, actually, it's about 300. Uh, But sometimes you can get away with like exaggerating how much you've exercised because people don't understand metric. But anyway, it's about 300 miles. And you know what some of you are thinking? It's like, well, good for you. But like, how on earth do you find time to do that much cycling? Like, seriously, don't you have a job? Don't you have responsibilities? Don't you have this podcast? Great question. You know what? 15 years ago, I did not have the time didn't think I had the time, told myself I didn't have the time to exercise, take care of myself, have a hobby or anything like that. But things are different now. And if you're looking to get a little more productivity and a little more life back into your life and to have a greater impact in your leadership, you tuned into the right episode because my guest today is Michael Hyatt. Michael's one of those leaders who really doesn't need an introduction uh, but in case you haven't met him yet, he's a multiple New York Times bestselling author, popular blogger, podcaster, uh, has one of the top podcasts in the business space. He is the former chairman and CEO of Thomas Nelson Publishers. Uh, he's done a lot of other things as well, including now leading Michael Hyatt and Company. And I'll tell you, he is just reaching millions of leaders. And one of those things, Michael's one of those guys that's just so productive. And you ask yourself, how does he do it? Well, actually, today he's going to tell you how he does it. He's got a brand new book called Free to Focus. I've read it. It's a great book. We're going to go through it sort of step by step. And you're going to pick up some really practical tips. What I love about Michael's approach, it's pretty detailed. Like you get the book, like you're into some ninja, ninja stuff on how to manage your time and your life. But I'll tell you, it's great. And this is close to my heart. We don't talk about it a lot in the interview, but um, for those of you who follow me and maybe uh, have done some of my content, you know that I have the High Impact Leader course, which you can check out at thehighimpactleader.com anytime. And I've written an awful lot about productivity and getting your life and leadership back. You can find all that stuff on my blog. So if you are into that and you would like a little more time, I think you are going to love this episode. And Michael's new book, Free to Focus, is out. It's his time management and productivity system that we will walk through in this interview. So, Michael, thanks so much for being on, being a guest. I've been a longtime fan of yours, reader, listener, all that stuff. And now we get to have a conversation together, which is a lot of fun. Also, speaking of conversations we can have together, have you yet registered for the Push Pay Summit? It's coming up May 22nd, 23rd in Dallas, Texas. I'll be joining PushPay and speakers like Patrick Lencioni, Nona Jones, and others. And it's not your typical church conference. I'll be keynoting and I will be talking about some things that, well, success killers that face a lot of leaders. But PushPay is also leading very practical discussions about tactics and strategic steps that set your church up for success in leadership, communications, 
technology, and finance. It's a lot of practicality. And so lots of people from like admins, operations, media, senior leaders, they all go to the Push Pay Summits. I've been to one before, loved it. They put on a great event. And I sat down with one of the summit organizers, Troy Pollack, who's one of their vice presidents, to talk about what he is most excited about for this year's summit. Here's his answer. So we got a killer lineup, as you've mentioned. Um, and so we're really excited to hear from those leaders. But some of the topics that we're going to be talking about um, at Summit are things like leading millennials. One of the sessions we have is millennial leaders are beginning to inherit modern ministries. How can the church set them up for success? We got Earl McClellan from Shoreline City talking about that. Another one, we have Nona Jones. She's going to be talking about social her uh, session title is Seven Ways Your Church is Probably Getting Facebook Wrong, and then How to Get It Right Without Spending a Cent. <laughs> Another one in our communication track is How Do We Nurture a Multi-Ethnic Community? And that's a real felt need that we're experiencing in the church today. Uh, we're going to talk about some technology stuff. One of the sessions is Don't Let Technology Disrupt Your Church. Hmm. Embrace it. <laughs> Yeah. And then and then the age-old question that you're debating with a lot of your uh, podcast guests is live stream online. Is live stream attendance the same as church in-person attendance? Uh, and so that's going to be a fantastic discussion that we got some online pastors at different churches in America that would be recognizable. Uh, they're going to debate that. They're going to talk about that. Is live stream attendance the same as in-person? So those are just some of the topics that we're going to be covering. But again, it's leadership, technology, and communication tracks. So it's going to be super practical. And I've got a special deal for you because you listen to this podcast and this podcast only, you can get almost half off of the early bird pricing for the PushPay Summit. So go to pushpay.com forward slash summit and use the coupon code CAREYN, C-A-R-E-Y-N, at checkout. And you will bring the cost down from $159, which is not bad to $89 per person. So just use the coupon code CAREYN, C-A-R-E-Y-N, by heading over to pushpay.com forward slash summit and register today. Well, without much further ado, let's jump into my conversation with New York Times bestselling author, leadership expert, and your virtual mentor, Michael Hyatt. Michael, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Kerry. What a joy to be with you. Yeah, it's a, it's a lot of fun. As I was sharing with you before we started recording, I read uh, Platform in the summer of 2012 when it came out. You got me blogging three times uh, a week and changed my life. Like, it's, it's wow. incredible. The rest is history. Well, yeah, well, congratulations. Yeah, yeah. So um, you are no stranger to stress and overwhelm. You've got a brand new book, which we're going to talk about. As a young leader, we got a ton of young leaders listening to this podcast. So I want you to think mm -hmm. back to when you were just starting out, maybe even pre-Thomas Nelson, but you know, Michael Hyatt in his 20s and his early 30s, how did stress and anxiety play an overwhelm even back mm. then? How did that impact your leadership as a leader who was starting out? Well, I think there are basically three approaches to life. You know, there's, and I talk about these in my book, Living Forward, but there's kind of the drift where we end up at a destination that we wouldn't have chosen, but it's kind of unintentional. Then there's kind of the driven approach, and this is kind of what I, what I came out of. My, my parents were lower middle class, and I just decided that I wanted to make something out of myself, and so I bought into what I today call the hustle fallacy, and I was at work at six in the morning. I didn't get home till you know six, seven, sometimes eight o'clock at night, 
And I was working around the clock and I would, you know, work Saturday mornings. I would work Sunday after church and I was just working all the time, rarely took a vacation. And I, and I see that thing, Kerry, really affecting a lot of people today because we have so many iconic leaders that talk about, you know, if you really want to get ahead, if you really want to achieve more, you've got to do more. And what happens with a lot of those people is that they blow up their health or they have a breakdown in a major relationship and all for the sake of what, you know, sacrificing that all on the altar of success at work. But the thing that I'm so excited about and so compelled about is I want people and I want myself to be able to win at work and succeed at life, to have the kind of growth in my business that's scalable on the one hand, but sustainable as, as well. Mm. You tell a story in Free to Focus about the day you thought you were having a heart attack. Do you want to take us yeah. back there? Yeah. So that actually happened right after I got to Thomas Nelson. So um, I was working hard trying to turn around one of the divisions in the company. In fact, uh, of all the 14 divisions in the company, I got hired to run the one that was dead last in terms of every metric. So we worked hard to try to turn it around. We did turn it around. We went from 14 to number one uh, in about 18 months. But I ended up in the hospital three separate times in the emergency room thinking I was having a heart attack. And so finally, I decided to go to a cardiologist and I said, look, I'm honestly scared. I can't, I can't even sleep at night because I'm so scared thinking I'm about to have a heart attack. So he ran me through a nuclear stress test and did all the stuff. And he said, um, look, he said, your heart's fine. He said, what you have is acid reflux. And he said that mimics the heart attack or heart, heart attack. But he said, the thing about it is this is caused by stress. What is going on in your life? So I kind of told him about this turnaround and what my lifestyle was. And he listened to me. He's very wise, older guy than me. And he said, look, here's the deal. He said, you either make a lifestyle change and figure this out and get a more balanced life, or you're going to end up in here for real. And I may or may not be able to save your life, your choice. That everything began to shift at that point. It was that point that I met Daniel Harkavy, who wrote the book, Living Forward With Me. He became my executive coach. And the first thing he had me do is put together a life plan and to begin to re-sculpt my life and what I wanted it to look like and get a clear vision for what it was, where it was going. In those early days, what were a couple of pivotal shifts? Because I want to get into as much of your new system, really, that you train leaders in. You've trained many leaders in. But, you know, when you're at that point where you're like, wow, I could die from this, what were a couple of quick changes you made that made a difference? Well, one of the biggest ones, I mean, up until that point, I wasn't exercising. You know how it is when you're young. You think, you know, I'm going to live forever and I don't need to exercise. I feel great and all that. The truth was I was eating terrible food. I wasn't exercising. So one of the first things that Daniel and I agreed on was that I was going to start an exercise regimen and started and start eating healthier foods. The other thing is that I was going to be intentional with my marriage. Now, today, I've been married for almost 41 years, wow. still in love with my wife. We teach a Sunday school class together on marriage. But in those days, uh, she kind of got the leftover time, and it was pretty much reactive. There was no design, no intention. So get this. So Daniel, with my permission, would call Gail once a quarter and just have a private conversation with her and say, how's he doing? Wow. And that created some major accountability for me. And uh, it it was really helpful. Mm. Well, those are, you know, and it's so simple. I, I just went to see my doctor for the annual checkup. And I'm like, how much of your practice is like eat right, exercise, get some sleep? He said a ridiculous amount. And yeah. uh, there's truth to that. That's good. Oh, now, 
you make the argument that focus and distraction, like the ability to focus and the distraction around us has, has gotten worse in the last few years, which I think we would all agree. What makes it worse? Well, first of all, digitization, mm. uh, almost universal access through social media and text messages. In fact, I was just talking to somebody about David Allen's GTD, GTD system. And uh, a lot of people, probably a lot of people listening to this are familiar with that system. He wrote a big book in 2001 called Getting Things Done. And I practiced that system, but we have to remember that system was written before smartphones, before social media, before text messages. And now we've seen the proliferation of inboxes and all these demands on us. We feel like we gotta be everywhere. We've gotta be accessible to everyone. And oh, by the way, being a Christian actually makes it worse because we feel like we can't say no and that we have an obligation to say yes to everybody. That's true. Do you want to, um, cause I want to get into the system, but l- you went there. So I, I want to pick up on that. Yeah, You're right. So many Christian leaders, particularly pastors. And we have a lot of Christians, a lot of pastors listening. They feel I, I can't say no. And I think the smaller the church, the more true that is. What, how did you learn to say no? What were, what were, Man. cause you're an Enneagram three. Are you not? Did I, I get am. that right? I am. Yeah. So that's not easy. It's not easy because I want people to like me, right? So I I, I say that, um, you know, the reason we don't say no is because we suffer from one of three diseases. FOMO, we all know what that is, fear of missing out, right? But there's another one that's called photo, fear of disappointing others, which I really hated. And then there's FOCO, fear of conflict with others. So the way I learned to say no was twofold. And I talk about this uh, in chapter five of the book, or excuse me, chapter four of the book. I, I talk about the fact that you've got to see a bigger yes behind the no. So, Carrie, if you flew into Nashville and asked me to have coffee with you, I would love to do that. But if you said to me, how about 7 a.m., if I say yes to you, I'm going to say no to my workout because that's when I normally yeah. work out. And I know if I blow it off in the morning, I probably won't get to it till the rest of the day. So it would be easy for me to say yes to you or say no to you because I'm saying yes to my health. I want to be around for my grandchildren yeah. you know, for as long as I can and be healthy to run my business and all the rest. So behind that no is a bigger yes. And so for me, that gave me the courage to say yes when I kind of wanted to say no. The other thing, and I talk about this in the book, I learned this from Dr. William Uri. Uh, it's sort of the yes, no, yes, the power of a positive no. And so I try to say no with this yes, no, yes formula. So for example, because I used to be in the book publishing world, lots of people write to me and ask me if I could review their book proposal. So when I respond to that, because I, you know, in the past, I would just kind of let that languish in my inbox because I knew I needed to say no, but I didn't want to say no. And I knew it was going to disappoint him. So I just kind of sat there and then it not only disappointed him, it made him angry. But so what I say is I'll, I'll say, first of all, here's the yes. I'll say, first of all, congratulations. You've done something that most authors will never do. And that is you finished a book proposal. Congratulations. So that's a yes. Then I give them an unequivocal, unambiguous no. And so what I say is this, in order to fulfill my existing commitments, I'm afraid I have to say no. So that puts it in the context of my commitment to keep my commitments. That's integrity. Everybody can respect that. But here's what I don't say. I don't say, hey, check back with me in a month. Or maybe I can do it when I get out of this crazy busy season because then I'm going to have to go back through the same thing again. So I go ahead and give them a no. Then I end with a yes. 
And the yes is an affirmation. And I might say, you know, again, congratulations on getting the book proposal done. I'm sure you're going to see publication on this. So, you know, good luck with it, whatever. And then I send them off. So that makes it easy. And I've had so many people reply to that and just say, hey, I'm disappointed, but thank you so much for getting back to me so quickly. People can handle no. What they can handle is a lack of response. Uh, that's so helpful. And I know you, I think you actually, I read the book a couple of weeks ago, but you, you've you actually got some templates in the book, right? In Free to Focus on how to do that. In other words, cut and paste and here you go. Exactly. What I'd love you, for you to do if you're up to it is I want you to tell me no for coffee. So I'm flying into Franklin. For some reason, I got your cell number or I got a direct email to you and I'm like, Michael, I'm flying in. You changed my life with platform and all the other stuff you've done. I'd love to have coffee with you at 7 a.m. So walk me through because I'm going to I'm going to push you a little bit harder and be that guy who won't go away. And I want you to get rid of me. OK, so. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so, Michael, can you meet me Friday at 7 a.m. and uh, we can go for coffee or breakfast? Yeah. So what I would say to that is I'd start it just like that example I gave you. I'd say, Carrie, great to hear from you. I followed you on Twitter, you know, occasionally read, read your blog. I would love to get together. Okay. So that's an affirmation of your intent. Yeah. And honestly, I would like to get together with you. So if you were in town, I'd like to do it. I just want to do it at a time where it doesn't compromise one of my commitments. So I would say, in this case, I would say, unfortunately, I got to say no. That's right. and, and here's the other thing too. Never explain why. Because all that does is invites, that invites argument, invites criticism. People don't need to know. And, and they're not demanding that you know. Sometimes we feel like we have to justify it and we give too much information. So I would say, you know, unfortunately, due to another commitment, I can't say yes then. But what about, and then I would propose some times to you. Right. Let's so say- So that's going to work in my schedule. And that's fair. So you, you want to meet with me, which would be amazing. But let's just, let's just say you don't. Because everybody's got those people that's like, you know what, I'm never going to meet with Carrie. And how do I let him down? And yeah. we all have those people in our life. We all have those people in our church and our business that it's like, I just, I can't because I'm saying no to my family or, you know, uh, I'm just not going to. So if you were never going to meet with me for coffee, how would you handle that? Yeah, well, okay. So this is, this is like a pro tip, uh -huh. but I actually have, I have, first of all, you would never get to me. So I have two emails. Yes, true. I have, I have two email accounts. And by the way, this is something that a lot of people have trouble with, yeah. but I, I really learned this from Andy Stanley. And that is the more successful you become, the more careful you've got to be about the access that you give to people. Mm. You know, so uh, I can't be accessible to everybody and really be accessible to anybody. Right. Yeah. So my family deserves my best focus then my inner circle with my team that I've got a close circle of friends. And by the way, I have 17 family members within five miles of my home. Wow. My immediate family. So, you know, just trying to take care of all of them, you know, is an issue. So what I would say, first of all, I have two email addresses. I have one that is kind of my public one that if you search mm -hmm. for, you would find that goes to my assistant. And so he's going to process all the messages in there and he's going to say no for me. Right. Now, the great thing about it is he's incredibly gracious but he's sort of emotionally detached and it's easier for him to say no. And so what he would say is something like, you know, maybe he would check with me in, in your case and say something mm -hmm. nice about you. But then he would basically say, you know, during this season, Michael's not taking on any other commitments. He's got all he can say grace over. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, we wish you the best. So just yeah. no. That's it. Just no. See, that's really that's helpful. And it's clean lines. It's so funny because 
years ago, I've got a public private email and I don't give out my cell phone number very gener- generously either. And part of that is just to protect my ability to write and do what I'm called to do with my totally. life. But uh, you reach a certain point at which you realize, oh, that's why people do that. And, um, I, you know, I couldn't have done that when I was pastoring 50 people. But you get to a different place and you're like, yeah, you got to have some fences. And that's something to think about if you're right on the bubble and your organization church is growing uh, to think about how you do that. Okay, well, let's jump into the content. Yeah, go ahead, Michael. Well, I'm sorry. Just uh, just another tip there, too. I actually have two cell phone numbers. So I have my Uh real cell phone number, which only my family and some of my key executives in my company have and and some of a couple of my best friends. But then I have a Google voice number. Now, here's the beauty of it. I hate text messages. First mm. of all, they, the expectation is synchronous communication. You know, you text, you expect an immediate response. Yeah. That's a total disruptor and interruption to me. So I've got Google voicemail set up. So when somebody texts me, I get an email message. So then when I'm processing email, which is two times a day, then I see the message then. I'm going to get back to people. But I do not want to train people that when they text me, I'm going to immediately respond unless it's somebody in my family or in my inner circle. Right. So... A Google Voice number costs nothing, very easy to set up, and that's the number. I couldn't even tell you my real cell phone number because I, I rarely give it out. But my Google number, that one I know, and that's the one I give out. Oh, that's brilliant. And I, I've seen more and more leaders uh, moving toward that. Well, your free-to-focus system has got three major components. So uh, the first one is simply stop. Do you want to start us there and let us know why did you, why did you begin with stop? Yeah, that's like the most surprising one because you're buying a productivity book because you want to be more productive and you want to probably start with the third part of the book, which is to act. But here's the deal. Uh, We are going crazy with work. You know, we're approaching what one writer called total work, where it's consuming everything in our lives. And what I think we have to do first is to stop the hamster wheel, get off and say, why is it that we want to be more productive? You know, if if productivity is a means to an end, and I believe it is, what's the end? Where is this going? So in chapter one, uh, it's called Formulate, and I talk about formulating a productivity vision. And in my view, productivity should not lead to more work, which it often does. You know, I'm going to get more efficient, more effective, so I can do even more work. No, I think the goal is freedom. So I want the freedom specifically to focus, because I think focus is the superpower in the distraction age. It enables me to, you know, solve the most important problems, uh, be creative, you know, kind of fight through the issues that I'm trying to deal with. But I need focus to do that. It gives me the freedom to be fully present with the people I love so that when I'm out to dinner with my wife, I'm not checking my smartphone. Or when I'm one of my grandkids' uh, soccer games, I'm not checking my smartphone. But conversely, when I'm at work, I'm not being interrupted by my family. I have the freedom to be fully present. Then the freedom to be spontaneous. You know, some people think productivity means that you have such a structured world that, you know, there's there's no opportunity for spontaneity. And yet, especially as a Christian, that's where sometimes God interrupts us and we have the opportunity to do our most important ministry. And then the final freedom I talk about in the book is the freedom to do nothing at all. And I learned this from uh, some Italian friends when I was in Italy, and they talk about the sweetness of doing nothing. And nothing is underrated because that's oftentimes when you have the breakthrough ideas, when you have the breakthrough connections. And so that kind of freedom, if you can get clear on that, then productivity makes sense. Yeah. The, the, the freedom to do nothing. I want to, I want to ask you, what are the things that you still 
touch. Like your company is growing rapidly. And for those of you who right. have followed along the journey over the last decade, like I have from the early days of blogging and podcasting and the whole deal, uh, like you've got to be 10, 20, 50, 100x over where you were when you started. Definitely. When you were moonlighting, uh, you know, as, as uh, Thomas uh, Nelson, CEO, what are the things, because uh, you eliminate categories of things that it's just like, I just don't do that anymore. So what are the things that right. you still touch? What are the things that you're like, okay, this requires my energy, my focus at this time, at this level? You know, this is critically important for all of us to get clear, in, clear on. And I talk about this in chapter two, as you know, with a concept or a framework called the freedom compass. So for people listening to this, you can imagine a two by two matrix, you know, four boxes, I call them four zones and rotate that 45 degrees so that at the intersection of your passion, what you love to do. And I think this is one of the ways God communicates uh, to us. He's imprinted on us certain things that we enjoy doing, certain things we don't enjoy doing. But at the intersection of our passion uh, and at the intersection of proficiency, the things that we're really good at, but more importantly, that drive the results we're expected to produce. Okay. It's going to be different for everybody, right? Yep. So we call that the desire zone. And that's true north. That leads to more freedom when we focus on that. So for me today, that's only three things. I'm either creating content, I'm delivering content like I'm doing right now, or like when I was in my uh, business coaching groups this last week, uh, or I'm casting vision for the team. If it's not one of those three things, then it goes to somebody else. Now, wow. I totally get that for a lot of people that don't have a staff, they don't have the luxury of doing that. This is a journey over time, but it's, it's really important to get crystal clear on that. Here's the thing. Vision always precedes the resources. In other words, you got to get clear what you want before you try to figure out how you're going to make it happen. So that's where I talk about if, if north is a desire zone, south is the drudgery zone. This is where you have no passion, no proficiency. There's a lot of other people that, that could do it. And amazingly, the way God's made us all, things that are, are in my drudgery zone are likely in somebody else's desire zone. So my assistant, Jim, for example, he loves processing email. He loves managing my calendar. He loves all the administrative stuff. He geeks out on that. So we're the perfect complement to one another. But that's the first stuff that I'm going to eliminate, automate, or delegate. Two other zones, just quickly. There's uh, the disinterest zone where you're good at something, but you've lost the joy. You know, mm. you're, you're disinterested and it leads to boredom. I think one of the most dangerous zones, though, is the distraction zone. And this is where you're not very good at it but you enjoy doing it. And I'll tell you, as a fellow blogger, like when I first started out, the distraction zone for me was tweaking my blog, tweaking my website. Uh, and so I wasn't very good at it, but it was a way for me to hide from the important work that God had called me to do. Do you mean like the design? You were like playing with the layout yeah. and the design and the colors and... You know, the quest for the perfect theme, you know, all these add-ins and, you know, widgets and all that stuff, you know, I'd be looking for that kind of stuff and testing it out. And it was, it's, it's what I call fake work. It's the work that keeps us so busy and consumes so much time and doesn't really produce the results, nor does it really give us any joy. It kind of leaves us empty because we know in our heart of hearts that we ought to be doing something else. But again, it's a place we go and hide from the real important work. And by the way, just yeah. because something's in your desire zone, doesn't mean it's easy. Hmm. So creating content, delivering content for me, casting vision, 
is really hard, but it's also deeply meaningful. And I think I'm good at it. So, you know, that's my desire zone. Well, and it produces, I would say the most results, right? Is that, is that what you're driving at? Like I'm writing a book right now. It is not easy. Um, but I know that that is going to have a massive impact far more than any blog post I could write. Yeah. That that could change your life more than anything, you know, is when you publish a book, but, but just to give you an example, um, this is, this is why last year, you know, the, the whole premise of this book is a total productivity system to achieve more by doing less. So last year, my business grew 62%. Now we're a wow. multi-million eight figure business. We grew 62%, which by any measure is huge growth. Yeah. But get this, Carrie, I took off 160 days last year. No contact with the office. I didn't think about work. I didn't read about work. 160 days that included weekends, but that was 11 weeks of vacation. So I took more time off than ever. And I grew my business. Our average business coaching client, which by the way, 10% of our coaching clients are pastors, but it's our our business accelerator program. In the first 12 months, our average client grows their business by 67% while shaving 11 hours off their work week, which is exactly the promise of this book and what we're after. That's incredible. And it's totally counterintuitive, isn't it? To, to it what is. most people teach. Um, so we've already got stop. The next step is cut. Anything we kind of ventured into that zone? Anything else you want to say about cutting, Michael? Well, I would say uh, delegation is, I think, one of the tough things for a lot of people and a mm-hmm. lot of pastors. And I've, you know, this is probably not true. Your, your pastors are above average, but uh, the people that listen to you. But <laughs> I, I noticed that a lot of pastors will hire somebody, particularly if they're sort of the Lone Ranger and they, they get their first assistant. They end, It ends up being a ministry to somebody that can't get a job who's not really qualified. <laughs> yes. And it ends up being a mess. But let's just assume you've got a competent person. And the great thing about today is that you can hire a virtual assistant for 10 hours a week. You don't have to commit to somebody full-time, right? And I think you've, yeah. you've had No, you and I both know Brian Miles and Belay, and we both utilize his services, yeah. Yeah, we use them to this day. In fact, they're a sponsor of one of our events. We, we love them. But at any rate, so what I, what I hear competent leaders say, they, they usually don't delegate for one of three reasons. And just see if this rings true. Mm. Number one, they say, um, if I want it done right, I have to do it, what? Myself. myself. Mm-hmm. Right. Or they say it takes longer to explain how to do it. I might as well just do it myself. Myself. Or I can't, I can't really afford to do it right now. So I guess I'm going to have to do it myself. Myself. As long <laughs> as the answer to those three questions are myself, you cannot scale. You can't grow your business. You can't grow your ministry. So here's the truth. Those are like limiting beliefs, and we have to apply a liberating truth. So the first one, if you want it done right, you know, you have to do it yourself. So here's the liberating truth. The liberating truth is if you hire people in your desi- in their desire zone and they're a perfect complement for you, and I could talk about practical ways to do that, then here's, here's what happens. Not only can they do it as well as you can, they can do it better than you could have imagined. I see that reality week after week with my own team. Paint the vision, let them execute, and they come back, blows my mind. This is like more than I could have imagined. The second objection, So the second objection is that it takes longer to explain how to do it, right? Well, that's true the first time, but once you explain it, it's like an investment. Then you start reaping the return. Then you never have to visit that again. It's off your plate. And the third one about affordability, 
Um, again, I think just trying it for a few hours a week, you know, get somebody, even if it's 10 hours a week, if yeah. that frees you up to do the things that, that really move the needle, the things that deliver the results you've been hired to do, then it's a win for everybody because there's only certain things that God's made us to do. And I love this quote from Dawson Trotman, the founder of The Navigators, when he said he purposed early in his career that he would never do anything that others could or would do when there was so much of importance to do that others could not or would not do. Oh, that's a great quote. Can we go back to, quote. you You said earlier that you had some practical ways to either find those people. I've got a couple of questions about that that first step in delegation. So tell us about the practical ways to get that. Yeah, well, it's really, it's really about hiring the right people. Yeah. So we use a system. We don't have any relationship with this company other than we love them and we recommend it to all of our coaching clients. Company's called Colby, K-O-L-B-E, Colby.com. Okay. And they have a test that measures how people initiate work. Okay. Oh. And and by the way, before you take this test, I'm just going to tell you, it's a really frustrating test because you're you're forced to choose between things that you want to choose two things and they only let you choose one. So they force you to rank these things, but it's eerily accurate. So for me, for example, there's there's four different um, kind of uh, polls that they they measure you on. First of all, there's some people that like to initiate work. It's called fact finder, but they initiate by research. You know, they're just going to go out and study it. They're going to Google it. They're going to read some right. books. That's how they initiate. Then there's people that initiate through, they call it follow through, but that's planning and organizing. They got to get a whole plan together. They got to organize it. Then they're ready to do the work. Then the third poll is called quick start. That's what I am. That means like, you know, ready, fire, aim. You know, just do something and, and we'll, steer, we'll steer the car after we get it in motion. You know, we'll figure it out as we get going. And then the fourth one is implementer. And that's, I've got to get my hands on it or I got to get face to face with people. Yeah. I, I just, I, I can't do it abstractly. So here's the, here's the cool thing. So you test yourself. They have a system called the Right Fit Program, Colby's Right okay. Fit Program. And it's for the hiring process. You test yourself. Then you test, then you do a test, a separate test that shows what you think the position you're about to hire for needs to be successful. Then every candidate takes the same test you took originally. Then what they do is they use some magic al algorithm, put all that together, and they give you a letter grade on the people that you're about to consider. So oh, we man. never hire anybody that scores less than an A minus. They give you a letter grade. Every wow. time we violated that, it's been a fiasco. And so we only hire people that have the energy and the initiative to succeed in the role that we're hiring him for. And it works phenomenally. We found it's the greatest predictor of success of anything we've done. Well, we'll link to all that in the show notes. And that is news to me, but it won't be for long. I'm going to go take that test, check it out, and <laughs> use that as a filter. Michael, I've heard people say before we leave delegation um, that if you can find somebody, because that, that first objection, like if I have to get, if I want it done right, I have to do it myself. And you think you're an expert, whether you are or not. Clearly, you know, you're an incredibly gifted leader. You're probably not the best coder in the world. I'm just going to take a, a flyer on that and guess that you're not yeah, the best coder. So probably someone else can design a better website, but we've all been there. So one of the rules of thumb, I've heard people, leaders say, if you can find someone who can do it 80% as well as you, and others would say in a rapid growth environment, 50% as well as you, bring them on board. Uh, any thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I don't practice that. There's probably yeah. some truth to that. But 
I, I remember when I was talking to Neil Clark Warren one time, he was an author for us at Thomas Nelson. He's yeah. the founder of eHarmony. And he, right. was said, he said the reason so many um, marriages are unsuccessful is because people don't have a big sampling. You know, they kind of take the first person, you know, they marry the first person, you know, that shows some interest. Yeah. And it's not a good match. And so kind of his vision for eHarmony, whether you buy into it at the marriage level or not, was we need to expand our range of choices. And I think this happens to us a lot as leaders in hiring. We kind of take the first person that can fog a mirror, or maybe it's somebody that we like, you know, we yeah. just enjoy being around them. And if we would recruit broadly, like I, I can tell you, Michael Hyde and company, for any position we open, we'll probably have 200 applications. And wow. we'll narrow that down, narrow that down. We've got a whole process for this. But we are typically interviewing four to five final candidates, and that allows us to not settle for the person that's only 50%, you know, could do 50% or 80% of the job, because we want somebody that really can exceed our expectations. All right. So widen the net would be uh, be a better way of looking so. at that. Yeah. I've, I've always struggled with that quote because I'm like, well, I don't want a 50% drop in quality on some of this stuff. You know, me neither. Yeah. I don't want that. No, that's a helpful take. Yeah. Okay, so the next step is to act. So t- tell us a little bit about act and then maybe dive into your ideal week because we would all love to have an ideal week. Yes. Yeah, so the first part of the act section, again, three sections, stop, cut, and then act. So now we've got all the work eliminated from our to-do list and from our calendar. And now we're focused on exclusively, hopefully, the desire work uh, desire zone activity that we can do the best. So the first thing I talk about is to uh, consolidate and think of an ideal week. And so this is like, if you could design your week and really be intentional about it instead of being reactive, but if you could design it in a way that uh, you had 100% control of your time and resources, and I get that that's rarely the case, yeah. but if you could, what would it look like? So for me, as I started thinking about it, I thought, I hate it. When my, when my week is littered with all these meetings and interruptions, it's really hard for me to do the kind of focused work that really drives the needle, you know, creating the content, delivering the content, casting vision. So I said, what if I, what if I consolidate all my internal meetings on Monday? Because you kind of get in that meeting flow and it's back-to-back meetings and I've got the stamina to do that, but not for a long time. Right. Then I, I, I tried to consolidate all my external meetings on Friday. So I'm happy to meet with people, but if possible, I meet with them on Friday. And when Friday's full, we push it to the next week. Here's the cool thing. That leaves me in my ideal week with Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday to do the really focused work that's important. And I I break all the work down into front stage, backstage, and offstage. Everybody has a front stage, you know, and this is where you're, you may not literally be on a stage like you and I do. But for people, for some people, their front stage is just where they're delivering the results they were hired to do. The backstage work is largely invisible to the person to whom you're delivering on the front stage. You know, it's the kitchen in the restaurant. Right. You know, it's, it's the lawyer doing all the preparation before they, you know, bring a case to trial. So it's all the backstage that gets you prepared for the front stage work. And then there's the offstage work. This is important to plan in your ideal week. Otherwise, everything gets sucked into work. So, you know, for me, offstage time is I get offstage at 6 p.m. promptly. That's a hard stop. I rarely ever violate that. And then the weekends are also offstage time for me. It's time for me to, to rejuvenate so I could be my best, most focused, most productive self. Once you get that idea a week, and we have a form for it so you can actually do it, then to share that with your assistant, share that with your inner circle, share it with your wife, get everybody on the same page 
so that you can kind of protect that time uh, together. I love your book. Uh, I've got a course that I call the High Impact Leader that we've run a couple thousand people through. And there's a lot of parallels there. And one of the num- the mm. top questions I get, Michael, is from people who say, that's awesome. You're the CEO. You've kind of been a CEO your whole life. You're in control of your schedule. I'm three levels down and I have to be at certain meetings. It feels like my life is controlled by other people. How do you create an ideal work or an ideal week, I should say, when yeah. you're not really fully in charge of your time? Well, I, I think this is a basic Christian stewardship uh, principle, and that is stop worrying about what you don't have and get focused on what you do have. So every everybody has some discretionary time. I mean, you know, maybe if you're an emergency room doctor or a customer service rep, you know, you're just on call and you've got to respond to what comes in. And so that's what you right. signed up for. So forget the ideal week. Uh, but for everybody else, they buy, they probably got more discretionary time than they think. So even if you've only got control of 30% of your calendar, focus on that 30%. So that's number one. Mm. Number two, sometimes it requires, and this is the essence of leadership, how could I influence the organization? Could I go, for example, to my boss and say, hey, I was just thinking, I wonder if we would organize our week a little bit better and be a little bit more intentional about this. If this could really change the amount of our, our, our level of productivity, because we'd be much more focused on those high leverage tasks that drive the results. And whenever I'm trying to sell a boss or a customer or anybody else that's got what perceived control over my life, what I want to do is put it in terms of what's in it for them. So why is this going to get the boss more of what they want? That's how to get your boss to say yes every time is help them get more of what they want and see your plan as a way of doing that. So it takes a little selling. Yeah. You talk about mega batching in the book, which I'm fascinated. And you and Cal Newport, who uh, wrote uh, his latest book is Digital Minimalism, um, which I'm really enjoying digging into. Fantastic thinker, writer, had a huge impact. And he, if you listen to some interviews with him, he is like, that guy's offline 99% of the time yeah. and manages to launch New York Times bestsellers even without having a social media account, et cetera, et cetera. What are, what, are, what are you learning about mega batching and what does that actually mean? Yeah. Um, first of all, I love Cal Newport too. And he, he's a friend and I've interviewed him too. And he's an amazing guy. He's really influenced me. But uh, yeah, so mega batching, th- the idea here is not just to batch things together. And, and the theory behind batching is that when you get into that headspace where you're doing a certain kind of thing, if you can stay in that headspace without switching, there's a cost to switching constantly. So if you go to meeting one minute and then you're, you know, studying to prepare for something else and, you know, then you get a phone call, you know, that's not batching. Mega Mm -hmm. batching, biggie sizes it, takes it to the next level. So give you an example. Uh, I have a podcast, as you know, Mm -hmm. and we, we, we publish it weekly. It's called lead to win. And, um, we record, my daughter and I record 13 episodes in a day and a half, once a quarter. That's mega batching. So I, it's, it's, you know, um, I have to kind of gear up for it. I have to make sure I'm rested, but I go in there and I'm in the headspace of producing those podcasts. Then I don't have to think about it for another 90 days. Hmm. That is awesome. And it's so efficient. We, we typically group, uh, video shoots. We shoot a lot of video for the company and we typically, uh, we'll do that over a three day block. And so we'll just mega batch it. You know, we've got the video producers in, we got the equipment in. So let's just go ahead and do it and just stay with it till we get the whole thing done. So yeah, that's how, that's kind of how we 
we produce everything in our company is with mega batching whenever we can. It's not always possible, but there's a lot of stuff you could mega batch. How do you keep your, like, what is the prep cycle for three days of filming or a day and a half of podcast recording? And how do you make sure your brain is still engaged in the last 20% of that? Well, I'm going to tell you a principle uh, that I teach to my coaching clients, and this changed my life. It's called the 10-80-10 principle, okay? okay? So this is, I have to be involved in the first 10%, and I have to be involved in the last 10%. But the 80% in the middle is not in my desire zone, and there's lots of people that can do it better. So when I'm creating content, for example, we'll have a production meeting on the podcast. I'll throw out a bunch of ideas, probably some of them with outlines already included. And then I turn the team loose. They're doing the research. They're doing the show prep. They may be interviewing some of our clients, uh, but they're doing a lot of that middle research. And then they bring it back to me for that final 10%. So I'm adding value where I'm uniquely qualified to add the value and I'm not gunking up the process where I don't have the energy and frankly can't do as good a job as my team can do. So I have a content team uh, that helps me produce all that. And I do that with every piece of content, even a video shoot. They'll typically give me like for a video shoot, I'll get like the scripts. If I'm doing scripts, sometimes I'm just using talking points. Sometimes it's a teleprompter. I'll typically get that like three weeks in advance so that I can rehearse it. And I like to rehearse out loud on my feet so that it kind of settles into my, you know, physiology. Yeah. And uh, I get the chance to hear myself say it out loud. And sometimes stuff doesn't ring quite true when I do that, so I can adjust it. But that's kind of what the process looks like. Hmm. Of all the things that you teach, and the book is incredible and so much more detailed that we could, than we could get into in an hour or even a 90-minute show, um, what is the hardest for you to still stay on top of? Because everybody's got stuff. Oh, that was so easy to do that. But there's always stuff that's just like, man, this thing, am I ever going to beat it? Or it's always a challenge. What, what is the hardest part of productivity for you? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. Um, I, I think I, I tend as a leader to not delegate. If I, if I err on that, I tend to abdicate, <laughs> you know, sort of delegate, delegate yeah. and forget or delegate and just, you know, leave it to somebody else. And I forget that I need to check back in and, you know, make sure that the, that the thing is still on the track and still progressing in the direction uh, I want. My team's kind of learned to work around that by them taking the initiative and proactively communicating with me. But I sometimes get frustrated. We had a situation last year where something really came off the track that cost us a lot of money. And, and frankly, I, I should have been asking some questions, but I was, um, I just had abdicated. Mm. I appreciate the honesty. We all have that, right? And it's a, it's a self-reminder. Another thing I've seen as you have evolved and uh, continued to morph is you seem to be really good at quitting, like just stopping stuff. So leaving a publisher. I remember when uh, you were doing a lot of coaching on public speaking, and then you announced a number of years ago, actually, I forget what it was, but you went from on the road all the time what was it, 12 nights a year or something like that? Like you you seem to be not macro, you know, hey, I'm a computer software engineer. Now I'm doing surgery and now I have a communications company. (laughs) I mean, it's not that kind of pivot, but you're always pivoting. You're doing micro pivots in the space that you're in. I'd love to hear about your thought process through that and how you make those decisions. That's so fascinating that you would say that because I feel like sometimes I hang on to things, you know, beyond their shelf life. Okay. But, uh, I'll, I'll tell you one that we just did that was pretty massive. So 
we went through our strategic planning process in 2018 for this year, for 2019. We had the budget all cast. We were all set to rock and roll. And we had a consultant come in in December and he said, okay, kind of share with me, get me up to speed, share with me all the products that you have. So yeah. as you know, we have like Platform University, we have Your Best Year Ever, we had Free to Focus, we had Leaderbox, we had all these things. And so he looked at it, he said, okay, now explain to me the customer journey. And we looked at him and we we're like, yeah, we have no idea. You know, people <laughs> buy something and then they buy something else and we don't know. And he said, that's a problem. He said, he said I guarantee you, your customers are confused. We knew this in our hearts. And we also knew that our business had become more complex. And, and frankly, our profitability had began to slide. The, the, the kind of margins that we had enjoyed had began to slide. And we decided that we were going to completely change everything. So wow. we changed the model. We decided we were going to sunset your best year ever. We were going to sunset free to focus course and live event. And we were going to simplify everything. So now we have a very clear path. We have about 20% of the products that we're offering to the market, and we're still going to grow probably 30 to 40% this year. So wow. again, it's how can we achieve more by doing less? That's, that's constantly sort of the, the, the motto that drives us. Do you ever worry back to FOMO? Do you ever worry that you're you're killing the goose that laid the golden egg or maybe my speaking thing could have really taken off beyond like it's hard to do that. It's really hard to do something that is successful and then to cut it. So what's your internal thought process or emotional space mm -hmm. when you're going through that? I think I have to I have to know that there's a bigger yes, mm. that there's a bigger opportunity. Like when it came to speaking, I was speaking about 70 times a year. Yeah. And I said, I love speaking. I thought this is, this is why I left Thomas Nelson was I want to speak and write, right? So yeah. I'm living the dream, except that it, it had become a nightmare because I was constantly away from my family. I've been married for 41 years. I, I got all my kids nearby and all my grandkids. And I said, I, I hate this. I hate sleeping in a hotel. I love my own home. So I, I embarked then. I said, that's got to change. I got, I got to embark on something that's going to get my life back. So over the, first of all, I made the decision. So I'm saying yes to something bigger than what I was saying no to. And then over 18 months, I began to just, you know, try to change the direction of the ship. That's when we founded Platform University. So we created monthly recurring income there that got me off the road. And now literally, this is crazy, but so my favorite thing to do is our business coaching program. We have 320 people in that group coaching program, but guess what? They all fly into Nashville. They come to you. I get to speak 44 times a year. And I'm in bed every night, you know, when I'm doing that. I just went through a, a cycle of those uh, here the last week and a half. And it's awesome. I got to work out every morning in my gym. I got to come home at night to my wife. I got to uh, sleep in my bed and still got to enjoy what I was doing. This takes design. You know, yeah. you just can't, you're not going to drift into this. But, but I think there's a lot that's possible if we would just kind of imagine what it is that we want. And it's, it's so interesting to me. I talk about this in your best year ever, but Jesus three times asked people, this is the son of God, right? He asked people mm. three times, what do you want me to do for you? Yeah. And apparently their clarity about what they wanted was important before he was going to do what they asked him to do. And so I've thought, you know, what, what is it I want? I think that's, that's something God's constantly calling me to do because I, th I do think he works within my desires. And obviously this has to be sanctified and offered up in prayer and with a willingness to, you know, 
change direction and be interrupted by the Holy Spirit. But but my action is, what do I want? What is the what is the thing that I want to that I want to do? And let that sort of be the map to what God's will is for me. Does that make sense? That makes a lot of sense. And it's great. And I think it's easy to leave failure behind. It's harder to leave success behind. It is. And that is what I've seen you do time and time again. And it's actually very inspiring because you would never really get to your next level of success or greater things like Platform University or coaching program had you said, well, I'm just going to tough it out for another five years on the road and hopefully my marriage is okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's a recipe for ending up at a destination you would not have chosen. I love how you have your foot on the accelerator. Um, You want to tell us what's next or anything else that we haven't covered so far in the conversation just as, as we close. Yeah, I will. Um, Somebody else asked me this in an interview, and I, I really never shared it publicly, but I did share it with my entire team in January. But I said, okay, here's the next chapter. I said, uh, I'm going to step down as the CEO on December the 1st, 2021. My daughter, who's the COO of the company, will become the CEO then. So wow. that's going to free me up to be the chairman of the company. And um, I'm going to still be active in the company, but I'm not going to be running the company because there's a difference between being an owner and an operator. So I want to own the business. I want to get increasingly more focused on what I do best. And I want somebody else to run the, the company. And, and this, is, this is really important, Kerry. I want my team to be very clear about succession because I've seen this oh, yeah. handled very poorly. And, and I, I really want to handle this well. And I want to hand this off to my team. I know they're going to do a better job. They're going to take it to another level. But once I announced the date and I gave the plan, everybody's energized about that because now the whole thing is, okay, how do we replace me? Because it's not healthy for the business to be dependent upon me. It's not healthy for pastors, for the church to be dependent yeah. upon them. You know, this is, a, it's amazing that Jesus could go away and the disciples did even greater things. That's the model. <laughs> That's fascinating because a lot of people would say, well, doesn't that make you a lame duck? But I love how you said the whole team got energized because I'm really passionate about succession. I'm not the lead pastor anymore. I'm the founding pastor of our church and succession mm. is a crisis in the church. But I think it actually, do you think that resolved a lot of questions about like, is Michael going to do it this did. forever? Like people are thinking it, right? Uh, they are. And and I've talked to people, I've had friends that in longtime Christian ministry were, you know, the guy that's running the ministry and that founded it, you know, was getting a little long in the tooth and and yeah. they know, and he knows he's not going to be there forever, but for whatever reason, he can't hand off the baton. You know, maybe it's financial, maybe it's just because he founded it, but this is a common thing among, among founders. But I had people asking the question, even when they were interviewing for jobs, they wouldn't ask it of me, but they'd say, when's he planning to retire or what's he going to do? <laughs> or, or I had somebody in an all team meeting one time, a spouse of a team member, stand up and said, what happens if you get hit by a truck? Right. I mean, that's, that's a legit question. Yep. You know, I better have an answer for that. Well, now I do. I'm, I'm glad you do. Michael, this is amazing. Okay. So tell us a little bit more about the book, where people can find it. And of course, where they can find you online. Yeah. The best place to find the book is free to focus We have some amazing bonuses there. You can buy it from any retailer you want. Enter in your receipt number and you'll get immediate access to those bonuses. So free to focus Everything else related to me, you can find at michaelhyatt.com. Well, you've been a gift to me and to so many leaders. I want to thank you for your time today, Michael. 
Thank you, Kerry. Thanks so much for having me on and it's great to meet you. Wow. That was a lot of content, wasn't it? And so helpful. If you want more, and I imagine you will, I have good news. Well, there's his book. First of all, you can get that. It's called Free to Focus, available anywhere. But we also have show notes and you can find those at kerryneuhoff.com slash episode 161. And in those show notes are also transcripts. So if you want to download that, you can do that for free. You can peruse them. You can take your own notes. You can use those as the basis for your notes, whatever you want to do. So head on over to kerryneuhoff.com slash episode 261 or just Google my name and Michael Hyatt's name and guess what? You're going to find it. If you found this helpful, here's what I would love for you to do. Would you take a moment just to screenshot this episode and share it on Instagram? Uh, Maybe text the link to some friends and just tell the story on social. Also, to all of you who continue to leave ratings and reviews, thank you. And remember... This is always free to you. So thank you so much for subscribing. Thank you so much for listening and helping us get the word out over 8.1 million downloads later. It is a very exciting journey and you guys are the people who make it awesome. Well, uh, we are back next week with a brand new episode. I have already mentioned her name more than a few times because we're speaking at uh, some of the same events this spring. Her name is Nona Jones. She works with Facebook. And we are going to talk next Tuesday about what most organizations are missing when it comes to Facebook and social media engagement. Here's an excerpt. But I believe that if you look at the life of Jesus... That wasn't his model. Like he didn't tell people, hey guys, uh, come see me at the temple for my latest sermon series. Like he was out (laughs) among the people, right? Like he was out among the people. Whenever he found someone who was in need of encouragement, he encouraged them. Whenever he found someone who was in need of exhortation, he exhorted, like he did it among the people. And so Facebook really allows us to return to what I consider to be, uh, return back to a a Christ-like model of ministry, which is meet people where they are um, and deliver the good news of Jesus where they are. So that's next week. And again, if you subscribe, you get it automatically. Also, Nona is one of the people that I will be speaking with at the PushPay Summit. If you haven't registered yet, head on over to pushpay.com forward slash summit. Use the coupon code CARRYN and you can get in to hear Nona, Patrick Lencioni, and myself, along with many others at this year's PushPay Summit, May 22nd, 23rd in Dallas, Texas. Well, Uh, Thank you so much for listening, guys. I really do hope our time together today has helped you lead like never before. You've been listening to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast. Join us next time for more insights on leadership, change, and personal growth to help you lead like never before.